coming up. You're a minority in a, in a number of ways, right? In that you're gay, um, you're an immigrant, you're an Arab, and you're also uh, deaf as yep. well. I'm like Kuri Patel's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> a Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Hi, welcome to A Gay and a Non-Gay. It's Pride Month. Woo! And throughout the month, we are chatting to some amazing people. And today we are joined by, actually, I'm going to let James do the pronunciation. No, that's not fair. He's very confident in his... Uh, no, <laughs> I've almost forgotten it already. I didn't didn't take it in because I knew you oh, were right. doing it. Well, exactly. <laughs> Elias Jarshan there is on the go. show That's, today. Oh my God. Welcome to the show. Oh God, Elias, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> everyone does that. Yeah, but it's not okay. It's, well, it's not okay though, is it? It doesn't matter that everyone does it. I mean, people get it wrong the first time. That's okay. I think it's more of an intent and whether people get it wrong all the time, that is the issue. But I'm forgiven. It's fine. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Elias is a Palestinian, Lebanese, Australian journalist, writer and editor. He's the editor of This Arab is Queer, a groundbreaking anthology of LGBTQ plus Arab writers. And we're so proud and happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on, guys. The book This Arab is Queer, I believe, is out this week. How are you feeling? Really excited. Like, I mean, I can't believe that it's come to life. It feels incredibly real right now. It's hard to believe that during the first lockdown of in London in March April 2020 I just had this idea in my head and I was talking about it with my husband and my husband's like why don't you write down a proposal and put it out there just over two years later it just, it's actually a book what the hell so, so what was in the proposal around in the lead up to the first lockdown I mean I was thinking about my past experience when I was the editor of Star Observer in Australia the national queer publication around that time there were a lot of things that I couldn't do within the limited resources we had but one of the things we did do was run wild stories about what was happening with ISIS in Iraq and Syria throwing gay men off the rooftops and stuff all these reports about coming from Egypt of regime forces storming you know saunas that were purportedly sex on premises venues and and shame and outing the men that were there it just it's really frustrating that i couldn't do much but at the same time i was noticing a lot of reportage around these stories that i felt was lacking nuance i had a lot of underlying islamophobia underlying orientalism with it and i almost felt like the arab queer community was being spoken over rather than given a platform to speak for themselves so there was that and then in during the first lockdown there was a big controversy of the EU, Canadian and British embassy in Baghdad flying the rainbow flag for Idaho Day. While their intentions were innocent and great, it just sparked a wave of homophobic attacks across Iraq. Uh, from the community itself, who, there's a group in Iraq called Iraq Queer, and a lot of uh, Arabs in, in the Arab world and the diaspora were talking about how that was just rigged of white saviour complex. They did that without liaising with the community themselves. They didn't think about the repercussions it could have caused. That was the final tipping moment, I guess. It sort of made me sit down and write that proposal leading all the experiences that I've had. So what happened there and how did that make you feel? Um, well, and was it wrong that they did that? I understand from their perspective, they thought they were doing the right thing by showing that they were there for the community in Iraq and in Baghdad, that you know, where they were doing that in solidarity. But from what I understand, they didn't liaise with the community before they did that. And because of that, you know, Iraq is still very much a conservative uh, society. It just sparked a wave of homophobic attacks against the uh, queer community across Iraq. It got violent at one point as well. So it because just, they flew the rainbow flag on the embassy, yeah. it got violent towards people, not yeah. necessarily the embassy, but other people that are queer. It was just the whole concept of, you know, they didn't realise it reeked of white saviour complex. Right. So they didn't realise they were doing that, they were speaking over the community rather than liaising with them before they did it themselves. You That's know what I mean? so interesting to me because you'd think putting a rainbow flag on the roof of a building in Iraq would be like progressive and amazing 
amazing yeah. but you're completely right in that maybe that's too far too soon yeah yeah um i guess you need to read the room you know i, mean, I wouldn't go to some parts of the uk holding my husband's hand it's not just in iraq it's any any country in the world there's going to be some pockets of the, of the country where there's going to be homophobia regardless without giving you any spoilers what is one of the stories in there that has touched you the most and, or, or shocked and surprised you oh god i dreaded this question um <laughs> every single story in there is amazing they're all so unique and they're all so different they barely overlap with each other there is one story in there that when i got the submission i was in a cafe and i just burst out into tears and the woman came up to serve my coffee she was like are you okay i'm like oh yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine you know and this was her first draft before we even went through the tweaks and stuff so i'm not gonna say which one it is but there's that one particular chapter that did that uh, that had that effect on me having read it it could have been literally any of those chapters literally any one of them <laughs> could have elicited that response so i'm gonna have to ask you off air which one it was the one i remember is, is is it called the bad son the one about the father being in hospital and the guy feels really guilty about it but he's spending the whole time on grinder <laughs> yeah in the hospital right it's fascinating because I, I couldn't work out whether he hated his dad or and was there because he he had to be and there was anyone else to look after him or whether he did sort of love him as well do you know what i mean I couldn't quite work that out. So that was... Um, what happens on Grinder? But he's chatting to blokes and... and Does and... he end up going back with anyone? Well, yeah, that's sort of going on in the background, isn't it? <laughs> right, okay. That's the subplot. Just read the book. Yeah, you? I will. Okay, great. <laughs> I think we should all read it. Happy Pride from a gay and a non-gay. It's Pride Month and we've been talking a lot about people's coming out stories. And you've said basically you had enough going on dealing with cultural identity um, and stereotypes about Arab migrants that you just ignored your sexuality, which I find so interesting. And I reckon a lot of our listeners will relate to that issue. So I'd love you to just tell us a little bit about how that feels. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the other reasons why that spurred me on to write this anthology which comes from anecdotal moments of um, where in the Arab community, if I ever told someone I was gay, they'll be like, oh, no, just you can't be gay in Palestine, you can't be gay in Lebanese at the same time. I have to keep them separate. And then I go to the queer community, and although I am white passing, like I can get, I can get by in the community, people wouldn't really think much of my, where I'm, where I'm from, inverted commas. But once they hear my name, that's where the questions start. And sometimes they'll hear my accent, and then the questions even go further from there. Not just my Australian accent, but my very specific Western Sydney cultural background accent i'm not sure if you can pick it up so i remember when i was working at star observer like i very rarely ever told people i came from palestinian background because i just felt like that they would think lesser of me for that because you know a lot of people just can't seem to fathom the concept of someone being arab and gay at the same time because of all the stereotypes that come with being arab and how in the arab community they're still stuck with the stereotype that come with being gay or queer there was, you know, the things all about the sex parties and whatever but it were much more than that yeah so i think for me personally even when i came out to my um my own mum like she didn't it was like a white elephant in the room for years and years and years it wasn't until i sort of started dating my husband and she came to visit me in london that i sort of had to i was like well you're gonna have to meet him why coming to my space now and it wasn't really i didn't like shove it in her face or anything i was just oh hi mum is Aaron, Aaron, this is mum and then it just sort of just left it at time okay you gotta deal with each other and yeah. um <laughs> i'm going out <laughs> yeah yeah that sort of uh, approach to it yeah and um i didn't realize how much of it was in my head because in, in reality it just turned out to be so much better than i expected and the last time Aaron was with me in Australia, in Sydney, to visit my mum, which was in 2019 for Christmas and New Year's, it was at that point that I realised I'd finally come full circle because my mum was like bending over backwards to make sure Aaron was fed and making sure he was happy and whatever. And like, I'm like, mum, I'm just on. You're meant to make, make sure I'm fed. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> In Arab uh, communities, there's a big 
big big focus on on the family right as the yep. unit do you think that makes it automatically harder for people in our communities to come out than it does for, oh, for West, yes. Westerners? Yeah. Um, the importance of family and the importance of having kids and getting married is just drummed into our psyche from a very young age. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether we're Muslim or Christian or secular or agnostic or wherever you, wherever you felt fall on the religious spectrum. That whole idea of having a family is so, so big in, cult, in our culture and in almost every Arab country. So I guess for me, from my personal experience, I know I was quite lucky my parents really wanted me to sort of focus on my education before and follow my dreams and ambitions. But I know from other families, in my extended family, even from friends' families, they were more about, you know, go to uni, then get married, have kids, then you can do whatever you want, you know. It's all about their level of success was measured by how many, when they got married and how many kids they have. So I think a lot of this idea of this importance of family is just, it's become so distorted in the way that the toxic patriarchy has influenced it, by the way that we have to carry on the family name and have kids. And I know things are changing, but for me growing up in Sydney in the 90s, even though we're in a Western country, I still had that family burden, I guess, the family pressure of wanting to get married and stuff. I think that was one of the reasons why mom, it took my mum a while to come to terms with it, because she was mourning the loss of the idea of me having that conventional marriage and having kids. And then it took a while to accept that I, I won't follow that path. I can still be happy and get married and it's fine. Well, you can still have a family. I mean, you can do all these things. Exactly. It's just yeah, exactly. slightly, yeah, slightly yeah. differently. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, because we're, just because we're gay. And, and one of the things that took, I had to sort of acknowledge and accept it a long time ago that I can be gay and still be part of the family and still embrace my culture. There's no reason for me to have to split it because just the idea of splitting the two identities to me just sounds ridiculous. Like me, my being Arab is just an equal part of me as being you know, gay and the colour of my skin. I can't really change that. So, um, yeah, what I can change is how we approach these traditions. I can sort of, you know, unlearn all the toxic patriarchal elements of it and embrace the, the love around it and the, the community, the, the sense of community and spirit. You're a minority in a, in a number of ways, right? In that you're gay um you're an immigrant you're an arab and you're so uh deaf as yep. well i'm like Kuri patel's worst nightmare <laughs> <laughs> which do you get the most hassle for definitely the uh palestinian bit because there's so much stigma with that identity but i guess it just depends on the context really just going to the shops, what I get the most hassle for is my hearing impairment. So I just sometimes, especially during the pandemic when everyone's wearing face masks, I'm like, oh God, I don't know what they're saying. Yeah, I subconsciously rely on lip reading. That's when my hearing impairment comes to the forefront. I'm like, oh, okay, this is really affecting me. But then me being Palestinian, it, it annoys a lot of people because they're like, oh, how can you be Palestinian when, you know, all the Palestinians are so homophobic and whatever. But it's like, well, it's just like what kind of a simplified response is that so it's such a stupid thing to um, say I know it's just so stupid especially when I talk about how try to shine light on the Israeli apartheid and military occupation and stuff and everyone always tries to come back with oh Israel is the haven of queer people in the Middle East but, but it's the haven for a certain group of people not for everyone right so I mean there are queer Palestinians in the West Bank who will never be able to cross over to Tel Aviv Tel Aviv pride is always marketed towards a, a Western market but saying like being Palestinian and gay is impossible because they're homophobic is ridiculous because there's homophobic people in Brighton exactly which is the gayest city in the country exactly. but there's yeah. definitely some homophobes in there there's homophobes everywhere yeah exactly so, so 
and yeah, just because there are homophobes in particular, uh, a large number of open homophobes, or it might be perceived as homophobic in, in any particular culture, does not mean the people from that culture don't have the capacity to be progressive. Because I mean, maybe I, it's just in my, in my circle, but every Palestinian I've met has been really progressive, has been really open and accepting. So whether it's in the UK, in Australia, in Palestine itself, in America, wherever we are in the world. I refuse to believe that trope of Palestinians not being able to be progressive because anyone has the capacity to be progressive. And also you're ignoring the people that that are there or from there that are also queer. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a... Yeah. A mute argument. Is that the right word? Moot. 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 Sorry, yes. a moot argument. <laughs> uh, it's been amazing having you on. Thank you so much for chatting to us and happy Pride Month. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Felt really awkward saying that. <laughs> Pride right. Month feels a bit dirty now, doesn't it? Does it? Oh, it's just a bit corporate. Right. And well, let's save that conversation for another yeah, time. Yeah, we'll keep that one for the next <laughs> week. <laughs> but this Arab is queer is out now. Elias, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks and, for uh, having me on, Dad. Appreciate it. We'll speak to you soon. Uh, thanks for listening, babes. Do the admin and support a gay and a non-gay? Visit gaynongay.com slash donate. <laughs>